0: You are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Vioxx, Zelnorm, Avandia, risk, withdrawal, black boxes. We want drugs that are safe, but in our quest for safety, are we denying potentially helpful treatments to our patients? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, your host. And with us today is Dr. Joshua Cohn, Research Associate Professor of Medicine at the Tufts University School of Medicine and member of the Center for the Evaluation... Of value and risk in health. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Cohn. Hi, how are you? Very good, thank you. Why this preoccupation with risk in our society?
1: That's a very hard question to answer. I, I have to say, I, I'm not quite sure You know why it seems to be more now than perhaps in the past, although it does seem to be more now than in the past. And certainly in the area of drug safety, there seems to have been, in the last several years, greater interest in this topic. And Perhaps it was triggered by, you know, we're all familiar with the news surrounding Vioxx, and of course, the, you know, that, that was very disturbing news to people. You know, so at that point, that garnered a lot of attention. It's triggered interest in Congress. The Institute of Medicine has put out a report that just kind of came out last fall. Uh, and there have been other works, you know, all looking at this issue of drug safety. Are we looking at drug safety carefully enough? And I think that, you know, it sort of has built on itself uh, in that way.
0: And the FDA, uh, their primary responsibility is uh, not to bring new drugs to market, is it?
1: Their responsibility, if you look, you know, carefully at their approval process, of course, they're supposed to look at both safety and efficacy. But when it comes right down to it, the way that's interpreted is, you know, because, of course, there's really is no such thing as a safe drug I mean mm-hmm. anything that 's going to be altering the chemistry of your body can certainly have an adverse effect so FDA their role is really and, and you, you know, they, they say this is to compare the risks and the benefits to approve those drugs where the benefits are, are worth the risks associated with. The use of the medication,
0: and do you feel the current medical legal climate is contributing to some of this uh, scrutiny and focus?
1: Well, certainly it, it must be. Not that this is an area of my expertise, but you know, just looking at the paper, the newspaper that is, you know, whenever there is a uh, you know something like Vioxx, I mean, certainly there there was legal interest in that, and uh, you know that happens whenever there's a high profile drug and, and safety concerns like this, especially severe outcomes. Um, death in this case occur.
0: For me, sometimes it's helpful to try to think about risk in terms of relative risk versus absolute risk. Uh, would you care to comment on that distinction?
1: That is an interesting distinction because you know when you look at studies, epidemiology studies, for example, the results are often expressed as relative risk. That is the ratio of two risks. So you know, the classic example of, of smoking. Smokers. Uh, have an elevated risk of lung cancer. I, I don't know what it is, but it's some some factor that is distinct from an absolute risk estimate uh, where one subtracts a, a baseline risk from risk associated with some activity. and And the reason why the distinction can be important is that, of course, if the baseline risk of something is small, you can have a large relative risk, a relative risk of five, and the incremental risk difference can be pretty small. So, for example, if uh, we're talking about uh, some activity that only modestly increases your cardiovascular heart disease risk or your heart attack risk, that's going to be a, a big deal, you know, even if it's a relative risk of 1.5 compared to some activity that has a, a large relative risk for, say, some very rare form of cancer. At the end of the day, personally, I care about you know, what's the probability that I'm going to die of something, mm-hmm. and if I'm elevating a, in a large relative sense a rare event, that's not as important to me as a modest relative risk of a common uh, event.
0: I think of the pharmaceutical reps coming in with their glossies and saying this uh, lowered the risk by fifty percent, and you see it uh, lowered the risk from uh, two in one hundred to one in one hundred, or is some very minor absolute
1: change. Well, you know, it's it's like someone said to you, "I, I have an investment that will uh, give you a fifty percent return, but you can only invest hundred dollars. Um, you know, that's not going to send the kids to college." Whereas Uh, something that gives you an 8% return, but you can invest $50,000. Well, maybe that won't send the kids to college either, but, you know, at least (laughs) it would buy them textbooks.
0: Right, right. Uh, So so that's and We're focusing on risk and and important to try to define what what type of risk, I guess. And tell us what drove you to uh, think about this study where you do comparison of risks.
1: Well, part of it was just my background. I have a background uh, looking at environmental risks, injury risks, food safety risks, So, you know, part of it was my background interest, but in addition to that, uh, in terms of like why we thought this would be a good idea for other people, in other words, other than just my intellectual curiosity, we thought of two points. First was, in terms of a communication device, if someone tells you, well, you know, this drug risk, you have a one in a thousand risk of dying if you take this drug for a year, you know, what does that mean? How do people put that into context that it would at least help to some degree to be able to compare those risks to the risks associated with activities that people are very familiar with, obviously driving a car. So that was the, the first point. The second point was more of a um, a policy uh, point, or, you know, how should we be thinking about this issue? And what we wanted to point out was, and, you know, I mean, this, this is, I guess, obvious when, when you think about it for a second, but it was nice to, to just lay it out, is that, you know, we engage in risky activities all the time. And why do we do that? We do that because we're getting a benefit. And, uh, you know, otherwise, well, you know, why would we do it? I guess some people like risk, but then I guess that's the benefit, the excitement. It's interesting to me, you know, if you ask people, uh, and I'll, I'll just ask your listeners right now to think about, you know, what is the lifetime risk? of dying in a motor vehicle crash for, you know, a randomly chosen citizen in the United States. And I'll let people think about that for a second. You know, what fraction of people are going to die that way? Why do we involve ourselves in these kinds of activities? It's because we're getting something from it. And, and it's the same thing with medications, of course. We take them because we're getting a benefit. And so, by the way, the, the answer to that question about the motor vehicle risk is one in 100 people die in a motor vehicle crash, which mm-hmm. I think... That's higher than most people uh, think it is. And and yet, even realizing that, I'm willing to bet people are still going to get into their cars tomorrow and drive because, you know, what's the alternative in a lot of cases?
0: So tell us about how you did this study and, and some of the results.
1: The way we did the study was to first think of the comparison domains, the alternative domains that we want to look at. So, okay, we've got medicine on the one hand. You know, what are some other things that, you know, everybody does? Well, transportation was one. Most people uh, are involved in uh, work outside the home at some point. So that was another. And then finally, everyone likes to do recreation. So that was the first thing. The second thing was to think, all right, you know, what are we going to compare here? Certainly, there are all sorts of adverse outcomes from different activities. And it's going to be kind of complicated to compare Cancer, on the one hand, that might occur in 30 years from taking, you know, some pharmaceutical agent to uh, a broken bone. So that that's kind of complicated. So why don't we make sure that we're looking at the same kinds of risk uh, and something that, you know, people care about is death. So we figured we would look at death occurring in the near term. And then we just simply went and started digging for statistics. Mm-hmm.
0: And I imagine it, it may have been difficult to try to get accurate statistics and to make those apples-to-apples comparisons.
1: It, it certainly was. You know, some domains, it's easier to get good data, or I, I shouldn't even call it good data. You know, it's more reliable, more accurate data. It, it's amazing. that the, the federal government collects some very comprehensive statistics on occupational risk. So that was comparatively easy. It's pretty hard, actually, to get a... a a fatality estimate for risks associated with pharmaceutical use you know I'm, I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar why you know, what once a drug completes its approval trial it's phase three it's approved right now there isn't a systematic collection of data for you know the population that is using that drug when it goes out so we, we have Vioxx, and in that case some deaths Pop up and people are able to associate it. then there are studies conducted can get an estimate that way, but that's really the exception, not the rule
0: there isn't any standardized post marketing surveillance that's right and then some of the other information you you cite where you got all the the data in your paper, but that must have been difficult also with the recreational activities
1: it was and, and you know again, it was this situation of of just digging very, very hard and trying to put together you know You need the following pieces. You need to know, all right, how many people die each year, you know, downhill skiing or whatever. How many people are engaged in this activity in each year? Put those together and make sure you've got statistics that are comparable, you know, are referring to the same population, roughly speaking, Mm -hmm. that got complicated. But, you know, you, you just bang your head against the wall until you find the right stuff.
0: And then you also mentioned the concept of voluntary risk versus uh, something that is uh, forced upon someone.
1: Well, that's right. And, you know, we, we tried to choose risks that could be characterized as voluntary. But, you know, voluntary is a relative term, of course. Yes, I have voluntarily uh, taken the job that I I take, but you know, on the other hand, I'm faced with pretty bad consequences if I don't take this right. job. So you know, how voluntary is it? I mean, the same thing is true of medications. You know, I, you know, a person can choose not to take a drug, but you know, they may lose their life or suffer severe pain as a result, or some other morbidity. So you know, voluntary is a relative term. But, you know, at the very least, we we could say that all these activities were uh, activities where, you know, one is at least knowledgeable that they're engaged in. It's not like, you know, some pollutant that you're exposed to without even knowing about it. And they could push comes to shove. They can throw the switch one way or the other. They can, can, in fact, turn it off.
0: And then I imagine in in some of these areas, there's certainly the potential for some bias, either underreporting or other bias that would possibly confound the validity of some of these numbers.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, that's absolutely true. Certainly with uh, medication, people die all the time, I mean, especially people on, on medication for, um, for severe uh, uh, conditions. You have to be able to tease out when the fatality is due to the medication. I guess it's conceivable that fatalities occurred that, that were due to the medication that were not picked up in the statistics we looked at. On the other hand, for some of these medications, the the cause of death, for example, with uh, Tessabri, which is a medication used to treat multiple sclerosis, the PML, that's not a common occurrence. And so you you can easily pick that out.
0: I want to thank Dr. Joshua Cohn, who has been our guest as we've been discussing. A new format or a new framework for looking at the risk of medications. Uh, Dr. Cohn has outlined for us some of the differences in risk definition and has begun to talk about his study that was published in the Health Affairs Journal in the May and June issue of this year, that looks at the risk of dying from particular medications and comparing it to the risk of certain occupations, certain ways of using transportation, and certain recreational activities. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.